Well, welcome back, ladies and gents. We are going to continue our Sunday School series in Zechariah today. Um, Our text right now is going to be Zechariah 6, verses 1 through 8. And this is the final night vision that Zechariah reports to us until we get to a little bit more um, standard prophecy coming up in chapter 7. I've enjoyed the night visions. They've been really interesting, very different. Um, I've enjoyed the fantastical imagery and, and trying to deal with all of the symbols and the metaphors and things. And I think it's been really good for us to do that. And today we're going to see that, that understanding this actually helps us out with Revelation because there's some corresponding imagery today um, in Zechariah's final night vision with the book of Revelation. So that'll be fun to look at that a little bit as we get into things here. Well, let me uh, read the text for us, then I'll pray and ask God to bless our time in the Word, and then we will proceed through the text. So follow along with me. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I returned, and I lifted up my eyes, and I saw, and behold, four chariots going out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. In the first chariot were red horses. In the second chariot were black horses. In the third chariot were white horses. And in the fourth chariot were strong spotted horses. And I answered and I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four winds of the heavens, going out and standing before the Lord of all the earth. In the one with the black horses, they went out to the land of the north. And the one with the white horses went out after them. And the one with the spotted horses went out to the land of the south. And the strong horses went out, and they sought to go to patrol over the earth. And he said, go, patrol over the earth. And they patrolled over the earth. And he cried out to me, and he said to me, saying, See, they are going out to the land of the north, and they shall set my spirit at rest in the land of the north. Let's pray quickly before we break down this text and get into it here. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Zechariah. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless our time together. We pray that you would Open our eyes so that we can see what it is that you have to tell us here. Pray that you would make the meaning clear to us, Lord, and that you would help us to apply it to our lives and be comforted by the message that Zechariah has for us here in your word. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, before I read the text, this is our final night vision that we're going to be looking at together. The vision of the four chariots. And there's a lot of really good stuff here, so I'm excited to look at this with you. There are uh, three parts to this section that I've sort of um, created here, that I've divided the text into three major points, okay? Firstly, in verses 1 through 5, we have the four chariots, uh, the description of the four chariots. And this, this is telling us about the armies of God and what they are going to do. The second section is uh, verses 6 through 7. And that is when the chariots separate to go out over the earth to various places. And that is showing us the sovereignty of God as he sends out his armies. And then thirdly, we have God setting his spirit at rest 
in the land of the north. And this is showing God bringing judgment on the enemies of his people. And so if you put all these points together, the main point of this text that we're going to see is that God is sovereign and that he will bring judgment on our enemies. Okay, God is sovereign and he will bring judgment on our enemies. And I think it's one thing for a theologian to say that. It's another thing for a prophet of God to say that in the form of apocalyptic uh, imagery here of these flying chariots. So this illustrates what God is doing really well, and I'm excited to look at this with you. So let's look at this first section here, the four chariots as the armies of God. Firstly, Zechariah sees, as obvious, the four chariots, okay? Now, before we go any farther with this text, we need to understand that for ancient Israelites who were familiar with the scriptures written before this time, they would have recognized that chariots symbolize heavy infantry of God. Okay? Now, you remember that we talked about how horses symbolize uh, infantry of God. They symbolize the soldiers of God, the armies of God. And you remember that from Zechariah chapter 1, where we see the uh, uh, different colored horses that are going out and patrolling over the earth. In fact, you might recognize that this passage is somewhat similar to Zechariah 1. And if you remember back in that first uh, night vision in Zechariah 1, I had said that the horses that were going out and patrolling over the earth were sort of like God's light infantry, the, the scouts, the spies, the ones that can move fast and report back to God as their leader. Well, here... We have a similar kind of image with these chariots and colored horses, but the chariots are not so much scouts going out and reporting to God, but rather the chariots are sort of like tanks. They're like the ancient world's version of armored vehicles. And they're going in, and they are not scouting. They are going in to destroy. So chariots are not, uh, are, are not um, just reporting things to God like the infantry we were seeing earlier in the book. Now, God has had his reports as a military leader, and now he's sending in the tanks. That's what these chariots are. And uh, we'll talk about the different colored horses in just a second. But notice that Zechariah sees four chariots, so he sees the armies of God, essentially. And these four chariots are, are um, coming from between two mountains. They're coming from between two mountains. And the mountains, we're told, are mountains that are made entirely of bronze. So two bronze mountains. Now, there are a lot of commentators that are very confused at this point. And maybe you are too. I definitely was as I was reading this because I'm thinking, boy, this is really strange. Two bronze mountains. There's got to be some significance to that. And commentators don't entirely agree on what the bronze mountains are, but let me give you what I think they are based on my reading on this subject and what I think the best option is. Um, in, in Solomon's temple, Solomon's temple had two bronze pillars just outside of the temple. And what the two bronze pillars did is they marked the entrance to the holy place. They marked the entrance to God's heavenly dwelling. Because if you remember, the temple, and the tabernacle too, but the temple specifically, was symbolic. It was a kind of type of God's heavenly dwelling. It was a type of the place where God dwells. 
And the tabernacle itself and the temple were constructed in a way that mirrored heaven, the place where God dwells. And what the two bronze pillars did is they marked the entrance into God's heavenly dwelling. And so I think if you carry that imagery over here into Zechariah 6, what we see is we see the armies of heaven passing out of the entrance into God's heavenly dwelling. So in other words, what's happening is these armies are coming from heaven. They're coming out of the holy place through the two bronze pillars that mark the entrance to the holy place, and they're coming into earth. So these armies are from heaven. And I think that corresponds to the idea of chariots as symbolizing God's armies anyway. Uh, Psalm 68 verse 17 says, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. So chariots definitely symbolize God's heavenly army, and I think that the two bronze mountains are symbolizing that the chariots are coming out of heaven. Okay, so that's what we've got going on here. Um, God is sending out his armies. Now, these chariots, as I'm sure you noticed as we were reading this passage together, have different colored horses pulling them. You know, the first chariot's got red horses, and the next one's got black horses, and then there's another one that's got white horses, and the next one has spotted horses, four different colored horses again. And if we didn't have the aid of later revelation, I think it would be really difficult to figure out what these horses exactly mean, why are they different colors, and, and what's, what's significant about that. But if we go and look at the Apostle John, particularly the book of Revelation, what we find is that John has these same colored horses showing up in the apocalypse in Revelation. And you may remember that if you're familiar with Revelation. In Revelation, there is a red horse that shows up, and there's a black horse, and a white horse, and a pale horse, which probably corresponds here to the spotted horse in Zechariah. So let's look at, no, you don't have to turn to Revelation, but let me just summarize for you the, what the horses are doing in Revelation. John tells us that in Revelation, a red horse shows up, and the red horse came with a sword to shed blood in war. So the red horse is red because it symbolizes the shedding of blood in war. Then you've got the black horse in Revelation, and the black horse came speaking grief and death. So the black horse comes, and he is, he's telling everyone, hey, you're going to die. In Revelation, you have the white horse, and the white horse comes to conquer. It comes to, to conquer in war, so triumph. And then the pale horse in Revelation comes to bring disease and plagues. So you can see a lot of war and judgment uh, is that mixed in with the different colors of the horses. And I think that that if you import the meaning of the colored horses in Revelation into Zechariah, it makes a lot of sense. God's bringing judgment upon the nations, particularly the land of the north. We'll talk about what that is in a second. And when God brings judgment, guess what he's doing? He's going to bring war, the shedding of blood. He's going to conquer. He's going to bring grief and death upon Israel's enemies. And he's going to bring plagues and pestilence upon them. Okay, so, 
So that's, that's the significance of the colored horses. I think they correspond to the meanings that are in Revelation, and that fits here, because the, the central point of these chariots is that they are the armies of God bringing judgment upon God's enemies. Okay? All right. Second section of our passage here is the chariots patrolling. They're separating to go out to different areas of the earth. You'll notice these horses don't, don't um, go together all over the earth. Rather, certain horses are sent to specific locations. And there's some significance here. You'll notice here in verses 6 and 7 that the black and the white horses are sent to the north. Okay. Now, if you're using your NIV Bible, you might notice that it says that the white horses went west. Um, that is purely an interpretation on the part of the NIV. The Hebrew text, as I'm looking at it in front of me here, does not say that the white horses went west. It says that they went north along with the black horses. So you, I don't know why the NIV did that. Maybe they thought it just made more sense for the white horses to go west, but uh, it does not say that in the text. So um, here we see in uh, pretty much every other English translation, if you're using those, is that the black and the white horses went to the north. Now, here's what's significant about that. The north. If you're familiar with Near Eastern geography, you'll know that to the north of Israel were the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia. And before Babylon and Persia, the north is where Assyria and Syria were. So many, indeed most of Israel's primary enemies that they fight throughout the history of the kingdoms were from the north. The north is the land of Israel's enemies. You remember the Babylonians. They're the ones that took the Israelites into exile. Uh, the kingdom of Persia. Persia is the kingdom that is controlling Israel at this time, that is sovereign over it and has simply allowed the people of Israel to go back to Canaan. So the north is the land of Israel's enemies, their oppressors, the ones that are ruling over them when they wish that they weren't. The north is Israel's enemies. And God is sending here the black and the white horses to go to the north. What's that saying? Remember, the white horse symbolizes conquering and triumph, and the black horse symbolizes death and grief. And so God has sent his armies to conquer and to bring death and grief upon Israel's enemies. That's what's going on there. And you can imagine being the Israelites. That is good news. It's always good news when God's people hear that their enemies are going to be conquered. And that's what Zechariah is prophesying here. Israel's enemies in the north will be conquered. And in history, that does happen. Right? The Persians do get conquered eventually, and they're conquered by the Greeks coming from the west, which is Alexander the Great's army. And uh, that's a story for another day, but the Persians do get conquered, so the prophecy does come true in that respect. But we'll talk more about the fulfillment of this prophecy when we get to the end here. So the black and white horses go north, and they're going to conquer, and they're going to bring grief and death upon the Babylonians and the Persians in the north. Now, the spotted horses are also sent to another location. The spotted horses go south. And I think this is where we really see the meaning of the different colored horses in Revelation probably does correspond here to Zechariah because Israel's primary enemy in the south 
was the land of Egypt. Israel's primary enemy in the south is the land of Egypt. And the spotted horses, if you remember, symbolize pestilence and plagues, just like the pale horses in Revelation. Well, this is a, almost a kind of throwback to Exodus, isn't it? Because what did God do to Egypt when the Israelites needed to be freed from slavery? Well, he brought plagues upon the Egyptians. And so this is a little bit of a throwback. God says, hey, guess what? I'm going to send plagues upon the Egyptians again. That's why I'm sending the spotted horses, which represent plagues, down to the land of Egypt. So essentially what you have here is you have God saying, hey, Israel, I am going to destroy your enemies in the north and in the south. I'm going to obliterate them. I'm going to send... I'm going to conquer them. I'm going to send death and grief upon them. I'm going to send my, uh, my plagues upon them. I'm going to bring judgment on them. I'm sending my armies. Thousands and ten thousands upon thousands and ten thousands. I'm sending my armies and they will destroy your enemies. This is a remarkable promise for God's people who feel utterly oppressed right now because they're living under the chains of the Persian Empire. Not literally, of course. Persia is actually being fairly uh, good to them, bring, letting them go back to Canaan. But nonetheless, they don't have David on the throne. They don't have a Davidic king. And it seems like God's promises are failing, and God says, no, I'm going to destroy your enemies. I'm just not doing it yet. I will destroy your enemies. I'm just not doing it yet and finally then we get to uh, verse 8 which is the third and final section here and here's where we get to see uh, the judgment of God in a final declarative way here, listen to verse 8 and he cried out to me and he spoke to me saying see they are going out to the land of the north and they will set my spirit at rest in the land of the north now, this ought to be incredibly comforting to the Israelites to hear this. And here's why. Apparently, God's spirit was not at rest in the north. Because of the evil of these nations who oppressed God's people, God, God's spirit was not at rest, but rather it was disturbed. God's spirit was profoundly disturbed by the evil in the north. And God says, hey guys, judgment is coming upon them. And when I send my armies to bring all this judgment upon them, they are going to set my spirit at rest. Because the evil will be punished. And my people will be free. You see that? This is putting this is putting God on, on an intimate level with his people. God's spirit is disturbed when his people suffer and when, his, when their enemies seem to triumph. And this is the promise that God says, I will destroy the enemy. He will not be around forever. My spirit is not at rest until judgment is brought upon evil. 
Now, as we talked about before, God does destroy Persia in history. We know that for a fact because the, the kingdom of the Greeks came under Alexander the Great and they conquered Persia. And, uh, of course, the Greek kingdom fell, too, to the Romans, and then the Romans fell, of course, to the, to the uh, Germanic tribes and so on, and we can go through the whole list. God always brings judgment upon wicked kingdoms, and particularly here, he says, he'll bring judgment on the land of the north, which is the kingdom of Persia at the time of the prophecy. But you know what here, that, folks? There is a bigger idea here than the destruction of Persia. There's a bigger prophetic fulfillment here than merely the destruction of an earthly kingdom. Because the message here is that God is sovereign with ten thousands of ten thousands of soldiers, of tanks, of chariots. And God uses his sovereign armies to bring judgment on our enemies as his people. Not just the Israelites. He does this for us too. God will bring judgment on our enemies. And he may not do it when we want him to. <laughs> we may want him to do it right now. We may want God to bring judgment and destruction upon, say, the virus, the coronavirus that we're dealing with right now. Or maybe we want him to bring judgment on something else, some person, some nation. Maybe we want him to bring judgment on unbelievers, people who attack the Christian faith. Maybe we want him to bring judgment on Fill in the blank. God will bring judgment on our enemies, folks. We can be assured of that. He may not do it when we want him to. He may not do it in our timing. But he's got his own perfect timing. And he will destroy our enemies, just like he destroyed Persia for the Israelites here. And that's what Zechariah really has in mind here. Yes, Persia is the immediate threat to the Israelites, but beyond that, God destroys our enemies. And you know what we have to look forward to as believers in Christ is the day when God will do this. Not in an earthly way where he destroys a kingdom, but rather in the fullest way when he destroys all evil in the end. And God wipes out our enemies and sends them for eternal punishment for their sins. And then gathers all of his elect, you and me, believers in Christ. And he brings us into the presence of his son, Jesus Christ. And we live there in perfect happiness and felicity for all eternity. And it's then when the enemy is completely destroyed and completely gone. And we get to be with him forever. We get to be with our Savior forever. That's something to look forward to. And that is when not only God's spirit will be fully at rest, but when ours will be as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this prophecy in Zechariah, Lord, we thank you that you, you take care of your people and you destroy our enemies. Lord, we may want you to destroy the things that threaten us on our own timetable, but you have a better timetable and you use 
the wickedness in our lives. You use the wicked people in our lives. You use the natural disasters and the diseases in our lives for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be patient in waiting for your timing. Help us to be faithful when we wait for your timing. And help us, Lord, to always trust you and to be drawn to your word, even when we wish that you would do something different. And Lord, finally, we thank you that we know for certain that one day you will destroy all of our enemies completely and in a final way. And all threats and all evil will be removed and we will get to dwell with Jesus Christ forever. Lord, we thank you for this great truth. Massage this truth into our souls, we pray. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, amen.